Thank you for tuning in to Lexington Road Ministries podcast. We're so thankful that you chose to stop by. We hope you enjoy today's message. Oh, I've been looking forward to this today. The tabernacle in the wilderness. The tabernacle of the Lord was the only building that was built to the perfect specification to the Lord's command around the time of 1200 B.C. And when we looked at that scripture tonight, I want you to take notes now and write that scripture down, Hebrews 9, 1 through 12. tells you explicitly that that tabernacle was built as a symbol, or what did it say? Symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered. So we see that that was God's plan to build that tabernacle as a symbol to show us. In fact, you're going to see Yeshua, Jesus Christ, in this tabernacle. The design of the tabernacle was given to Moses from God in great detail. The ark, the table of showbread, the menorah, the tabernacle itself, the burnt offerings, the outer court, the lamp oil, the priest's clothing, the altar of incense, the laver, the anointing oil, the incense, even what he offered on the altar of incense had to be specific right down to the very common detail of how they mix that incense. The craftsmen, he told them how to, how to get these men and get men with skill, women with skill to build this. The construction itself, everything in that tabernacle was by design of God. Everything was to be done to God's specification. So why? Anyone have a clue? We talked about this last week. So that we would be able to understand the pictures that he's drawing for us. And in fact, if you'll notice what I preach, that's what I preach all the time just about, is that God is drawing us pictures so that we'll understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, his, his ways are so much higher than my ways. And how is he going to communicate to me except through a very basic idea of drawing or giving me a symbol, showing me things like this? And so Yeshua is the, when we look at this tabernacle and we think that this is the dwelling place for God, trust me, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, is the perfect dwelling place for God. In fact, he is God. And so the tabernacle was designed after this specification. So I want to look now at some of the specifics of this tabernacle, and I'm going to start with the gate. Let's look there in Exodus 27, verse 16. And I'm going to ask Loretta if she would read that. Exodus 27, 16. Uh, I'm sorry, you don't have that. Uh, I'm going to let you read here in a minute. I'll read that. For the gate of the court there shall be a screen 20 cubits long, Woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen made by a weaver. It shall have four pillars and four sockets. Now, uh, when you see this tabernacle picture up here, you're going to see that gate and the screen that was there, how they entered in. And so this gate or the screen there is the picture, is a picture of Jesus Christ. And now, will you read Acts 2.21, Loretta? And then I'm going to have Kathy read uh, John 14.6. And I want you, when she's reading this, to notice how wide that gate is. We know the scripture that says, 
uh, narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. But there is a reason this gate is so large and I want her to read that next, 221. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one will come to the Father except through me. And Kathy, can you read John 10, 7 through 9? Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The gate is wide here so that whosoever, anyone who tries to enter into that gate by the way they're supposed to go, he offers his entrance to all of us, heathens, Gentiles. And if you'll notice in New Testament, it talks a lot about Jews and it talks about Gentiles being unbelievers or sort of like heathens. But of course, we were grafted in to the vine, amen. And so Paul preached about the Gentiles coming in. But here in the Old Testament, in the scriptures, you see where that gate is wide, thrown open so that anyone can come in. He opens the gate wide for anyone that will accept him. But anyone who tries to enter any other way is the same as a thief and a robber. And the only entrance to Jesus, to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And I have to say, sorry, Catholic Church, because I've heard just the other day on uh, the Internet, a Jewish man was asking a bishop of the Catholic Church, does that mean I'm lost because I don't believe in Jesus Christ? And the Catholic priest said, absolutely not. Uh, there are many ways to God. Now, I'm going to tell you, that is not Bible. The Bible says there is one way, and we read these scriptures tonight. Jesus said, I am the way, and if you come any other way, then you're a thief and a robber. You will not get in. There is a qualification here. We live in this time where we just, we're so easy, and we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, and we're so tolerant. Can I tell you that God is not a tolerant God? He says, I want the gate to be open, but you're going to come my way. Now, I, I grew up in a home like that. Our kids don't grow up in homes like that anymore. Most of the time, the kids tell the parents what to do. But my daddy, he said, there's a gate here, and it's swinging wide open if you obey what I say. But the minute you don't, you're going to be in trouble. He didn't say I could leave. He would kill me. That's what his philosophy was. So the door was made out of a woven tapestry, and the colors there were blue, purple, and scarlet. B blue when you look at these colors, is the color of heaven, and it signifies the divinity of Jesus. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What did I say a while ago? Jesus was God. That's one thing you need to understand right quick is that Jesus is God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When I grew up, I didn't understand that Jesus was God. I thought he was the Son of God, and I acknowledged him as the Son of God. But trust me, the Word, I didn't make that up. That's here in your Bible, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that's one thing we need to get clear right off from the very beginning of who Jesus is. Because if you don't know who he is, you can be really tripped up by some of these cults that are coming along. 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, 
preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16. So this is the mystery of godliness. This is who, who the Bible says that Jesus was. We celebrate him as King of kings and Lord of lords. The other color there was purple, and it is the color of royalty. When a king would dress in all of his glory, that purple was what he would wear. No, just some little old somebody off the street could not wear purple. That was reserved for kings. And so I want you to read, Loretta, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. We're talking about the king of kings here. We talked about the divinity before. Now we're talking about the king. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Ooh. every knee shall Amen. bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, yes. and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God <laughs> the Father. Amen. He is the King. And then the next color is scarlet, which is uh, the indicative of blood Jesus's sacrifice so you've got on this curtain purple scarlet blue all of those colors mean something scarlet is the color of blood Jesus's sacrifice Kathy Isaiah 118 come now and let us reason together says the Lord though your sins are like scarlet they shall be white as snow though they are red like crimson they shall be as wool and Psalms 51 and 7 says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. First Peter 1, if you will, uh, Loretta. But 19. with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, yes. he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of this world, but was manifested in these last times for you. Now, notice that scripture, verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Remember what I said last week, how that God writes history in advance. He created the whole universe and then backtracked and, and did it. He created it first in his mind. Jesus was foreordained even before he knew God, before anybody knew that there was going to be a sin. God foreordained Jesus. He knew what was going to happen. Let, trust me, our God knows what's going to happen. It, it doesn't take him by surprise. He wasn't sitting up there at heaven when 9-11 happened 18 years ago saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe they did that. He is not taken by surprise. And so everything that goes on in your life, when, you, when your world is rocked, trust me, God is not worried. He's not going to lose any sleep over it. He's not up there wringing his hands. He is sovereign and he knows what's going to happen from the very beginning. And so uh, the pillars, let's go on to the pillars of the gates because I've got a lot of uh, area to cover tonight. Exodus 27, 16, uh, Kathy. For the gate of the court there shall be a screen 20 cubits long, woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen made by a weaver. It shall have four pillars and four sockets. Now we're talking about the pillars now. Ezekiel 1 and 10. Uh, let's first of all, I want to talk about these four pillars, and I'm going to let Loretta read Ezekiel here in a minute. Four pillars to support the gate. You're going to see these numbers repeated over and over and over and over in the tabernacle. Four pillars now. What's that indicative of? Four gospels to testify of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what the book of Matthew speaks of. 
All these gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, signify a different part of Jesus that the other did not. Matthew speaks of his royalty, of Jesus the king, and he's represented by a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Mark speaks of the faithful servant. He's represented by the ox. Luke speaks of this brotherly sympathy of the son of man, and he is represented by man. And in the book of Luke, you'll see he was a, a physician, and he called Jesus the son of man, talked about his sympathy toward men and sinners. John, however, speaks of the soaring majesty of the son of God, and in the book of John, he is represented as an eagle. So you've got four creatures here. You've got four posts that are holding up those curtains. You've got four gospels. Uh, represented by the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. And you're going to see these characters in the vision of Ezekiel and also in Revelation. Now, somebody laughed at me because I'm such a sci-fi freak. But to me, I think heaven is sci-fi, and I can't hardly wait to get there because I'm, I'm thinking, man, we're going to see things that, are, uh, that will blow your mind. Read this, uh, Loretta, and then I'm going to get Kathy to read 4 and 7. As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man. Each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. Each of the four had a face of an ox on the left side. And each of the four had the face of an eagle. Now, you all talk about confused. Haven't you ever talked to somebody that their eyes were kind of crossed? Mine are a little bit. And you don't know where to look because you don't know what eye they're looking for. <laughs> and they're looking at a creature with four faces. Lion, man, ox, eagle. That blows my mind. That's not the only time you see this creature in the Bible. Revelation 4, 7, Kathy. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. You say these are different, different beings. They are. And notice that everything that's up in heaven, he is duplicating here on earth. So we have these creatures, but we are going to see oxen in heaven speaking like men. Hey, I could go back to the Genesis where the serpent talked and animals talked and they walked and they conversed and they did all kinds of things. I'm telling you, heaven is going to be, it's going to be psychedelic. It's going to be better than Star Wars ever could imagine. Uh, the lion, the ox, eagle, and man represent the Messiah. Book of Numbers 2 uh, gives the number of the tribes and that these tribes are to be divided into four houses. I don't know if you realize that, but when we look up here on the screen, I want you to pay attention a little bit later on when it shows uh, the, the camp outside the tabernacle. There are four houses that are represented. Those are the houses of um, Judah, Reuben, Dan, and Ephraim. And so the head of those four houses are Judah, and he's represented by the lion. Reuben is represented by the man. Dan is represented by the eagle. And Ephraim is represented by the ox. Now, when I say God told them to, to park or to camp in four different spots around the tabernacle, well, when you look at that, the way they had to park, because some of those tribes were larger than the other, it is making a sign of a cross on the outside of the tabernacle because you've got a camp here, a camp there, a camp over here, and a long camp right here. You see a perfect picture of a cross. The number in each tribe is amazing when you see them camped in these four houses. Moses, 
uh, Aaron and the sons were the ones inside the circle closest to the tent. But Dan, Asher, and Nephtal were the eagle. And they, they flew these standards, these flags, with these beings on these flags. And so Dan, that tribe, had an eagle that was their standard that flew. Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin had the ox. Their standard was the ox. Reuben, Simeon, Gad had the standard of the man. The flag was flying over them. Judah, Iskar, uh, Zebulon had the sign of the lion. That was their standard. So God's plan is to reveal the Messiah at all levels. All of these significant of Jesus Christ because he was the ox. He was the burden bearer, amen? He carries our burdens. He is a servant, amen? He was the lion. He is the king of all kings, the king of the beasts. He was the eagle, the one that soars high above the heavens, above all of the troubles. Nothing bothers the eagle. And he is the man, God that came to earth and became a man so that our infirmities touches him he understands why we do what we do come on isn't that wonderful that we have a high priest that is touched by our infirmities and he understands why I'm so stupid sometimes and so let's talk about the fence or the white lining that is around the tabernacle imagine if you will being in the desert surrounded by all that dirt and sand and those dark brown badger skin tents that you see around the the perimeter of that tabernacle and then you see this refreshing white linen in the middle of all that camp these were this that white linen was a type of the righteousness of Christ men can achieve this righteousness but only through Jesus Christ have you ever tried to turn over a new leaf when you weren't a Christian and you said tomorrow I'm going to do better or next week I'm going to do better. And I found that I didn't do any better. And sometimes even as a Christian, I don't do better. But thank God for the blood. So he was the type of righteousness of Christ. Men can achieve that only through Christ. White says it, it is significant of purity, a way of holiness. And somehow we have forgotten that issue in the church. We don't preach holiness anymore, but God's, that's still God's standard for his church. Amen? I ought to get a bigger amen than that. We have forgotten that, but just one look at this tabernacle, and they saw the purity of God and that it was exclusive. Yeshua, the walls were white, stands for purity. Very hard to get that color white. In fact, they're it took a lot of bleaching process, very costly, very expensive, and you'll see that in God's blueprint. The church should be full of holy people, and holiness doesn't equate to meanness. In fact, just the opposite. If we're holy, we're going to be the kindest people on earth. We're going to be compassionate. And so the separation of the camp from the sanctuary was to say that those on the outside were unclean, those on the inside were cleaned by the blood. To say that all are saved is wrong. In fact, we've got preachers now that are buying this doctrine of universalism, saying that God, Jesus Christ, came to save the world, and they'll take scriptures like that. So they say, he's already done the work. The whole world is saved. Nobody's going to hell. Can I tell you that is not true? We have to accept Jesus Christ, and we have to become a not a convert, 
We have to become a disciple, a follower of Christ. Because I see a lot of people that are converts and they don't change their lifestyle whatsoever. Well, that's another message. So those are, that are on the inside were cleaned by the blood. Uh, and so those that were on the outside were not included in this holy group. It's only through the blood and only who God saves. There should be a marked difference between the world and the church. There used to be. And erroneously, we talked about it being hair and makeup and clothes. But can I tell you, ladies, I don't think we've got any problem with that here. We need to dress decent. We need to be modest in our appearance. Men are the same way. We should be modest and always. This is the temple now. We want to talk about temple. This is his temple now. And I, well, I'm not even going to get on my hobby horse, okay? So the presence of God was inside the wall. See those white linens? He's inside the wall. The absence of God is outside the wall. And one gate where you enter into his presence. Kathy, Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, Jesus, who you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It was too high to look over and too low to crawl under. That linen curtain came all the way to the ground and was staved in the ground where that nobody could crawl under. You had to go through the door, and it is the same today. This is what God is saying to us. There is one gate. There is one door, and you go through that. Any other way, you climb under that wall, you're a thief. You're going to be beheaded, in fact, if you do that. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Loretta. But as it is written, eyes have not seen nor ears have heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So you cannot look over. You've got to be a member of this group. The church has somehow forgotten, the, uh, gotten, uh, somehow gotten the idea that we need to adjust the church so that the world will feel comfortable when they come in here. Those are seeker-friendly congregations. And can I tell you that a sinner will never feel comfortable Faced with a holy God. How many of you remember when you were a sinner and you came into the house? Amen. How, how did you feel? Well, then the argument there is when I, you know, let's make it easy for them to come. I remember being in the congregation and they give the altar call and I was so convicted of the Holy Spirit that I would stand there with my knuckles turning white thinking I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. Uh, my soul wanted to go forward. My soul wanted the Spirit of God. But my flesh said, if you do that, you're going to have to change everything. Uh, my soul wanted it so badly. Well, now, they say, these seeker-friendly churches, let's make it easy for them to get saved. The fact of the matter is that they've made it impossible for them to get saved because they don't see a holy God in seeker-friendly churches. In fact, some of them, they see the same stuff that they saw last night sitting in the bars and the same people, I might add. Oh, y'all are just you're not shouting me down or nothing tonight, are you? <laughs> So they're not getting convicted. They're, they don't see any separation here. But when you look at this tabernacle and you see it in the wilderness, you see what God expects. Amen. 
Let's talk about the pillars and sockets and move on. <laughs> they were made of brass, and brass was for judgment. Numbers 21, 9 says, So Moses made a bronze serpent that put it on a pole, and so it was if a serpent had bitten anyone. When he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Uh, Exodus 28, 27, Loretta, and 28. And from the hundred talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil, one hundred sockets from the hundred talents, one talent for each socket. Then from the one thousand seven hundred and seventy-five shekels, he made hooks for the pillows, overlaid their cap capitals, and made their bands for them. Silver, this is what the top of those pillars were made of. They put silver caplets on top of those poles, and it was very costly. How much did it say? 1,775 shekels. I don't know. I should have looked that up and found out how much money that would be today. Can I tell you it would probably be more than any of us in here can afford. It is indicative of saying that your, uh, your atonement was very expensive. I think we say too much, well, salvation is free. <laughs> It was free for us, but it cost somebody dearly. It cost God the Father dearly. It cost God the Son very dearly. It was not free. So he is saying here, when the Israelites looked at the silver sockets, it reminded them of their atonement price. 1 Peter 1, 18, 19, Kathy. Let me read it. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless con conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ Ooh, as a lamb, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You were bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That cost a great deal. So let us move now into the brazen altar. And this is where I wanted to get tonight. Exodus 27, 1 through 8. I'm going to read there. You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square and its height shall be three cubits. You shall make it horns. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. And you shall overlay it with bronze. Also, you shall make its pans to receive its ashes and its shovels and its basins and its forks and its fire pans. You shall make all of its utensils of bronze. You shall make a grate for it, a network of bronze. And on the network, you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. You shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath that the network may be midway up the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the rings, and the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar to bear it. You shall make it hollow with boards as it was shown you on the mountain, so shall they make it. Now notice that all of these pieces of furniture had those poles and the rings so that they could carry this sanctuary everywhere they went. Now they didn't pick it up every day and move to a different place. In fact, they would stay sometimes very long periods of time, years and years and years. But eventually when the cloud would move, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on, when the cloud would move, they followed the cloud. What's that tell us? Follow him. Follow that thing. <laughs> Let's follow that cloud. Let's follow that pillar of fire. Instead of following the sermon book that they put out or let you know let's let's look at the church of god uh, calendar and, and let's follow that 
What would happen if we'd follow the, the fire? Woo! I'm telling you. If we would follow the plan, man, if we would follow the plan, what would we have? This altar was made of acacia wood, but it's covered in brass or bronze. It would not be consumed when he, of course, when you've got a wooden altar, it's going to burn, but not if it's covered in this brass. But in, it would get, if it's covered in brass, guess what's going to happen to it? It's going to get hotter and hotter and hotter. The heat is going to intensify. So that sacrifice that was put on there went through a lot of torture. Um, likewise, we are subject to God's wrath because of our sin, intense wrath, but we are not consumed because we are sealed. Uh, Isaiah 53 and 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of my sin, and trust me, that's a big list, was laid on him. Not only mine, but everyone in this room. Not only everyone in this room, but everyone in this town. Everyone in this state, everyone in the world for thousands of years. The iniquity, the sin was on him. And he was slain and punished for that sin. The altar is square giving equal opportunity to all. The altar says there are no big eyes or little you. It's, it's all square. It's fair. It rests on the ground. In fact, there's one scripture that I didn't write down I should have that says don't build steps up to this altar. You put it on the ground, level. It's a, this is not one of these uppity things that, in fact, God hates pride or arrogance. And he said, this is not an arrogance thing. This is a, a down-to-earth, you need to understand what's happening here on this altar. And so no steps go up to it. You don't need to go up because Yeshua came down. And in fact, everything that went up, when we sing that song, let's go up, people who don't understand the Bible think we're going up to worship God. And yes, we do go up to Bethlehem. But the evil places, the altars to other gods, went up they they built altars up look at the aztecs look at all these pyramids all these things all over the world they would build high places and they would sacrifice on those high places to other gods and our god said do not build up and so you don't need to go up because yeshua came down the sacrifice was lower on the grate the grate is halfway inside that altar and other people could not see the punishment that was going on. So when Christ was judged for my sins, he didn't ask me to go up in front of the whole world and tell everybody about my shame. He took the shame for me. I don't have to confess to a priest. I don't have to tell you how terrible I was. He took all that shame. He took the shame for me. Naked, extended between heaven and earth. This altar most was, was uh, in fact, this piece of furniture in the tabernacle God uh, showed Moses this piece on the, on the mount. And he, uh, Ezekiel 27 and 8 says, You shall make it hollow with boards. As it was shown you on the mountain, so shall they make it. Hebrews 8 and 5. Going back to um, Exodus 38, the um, yes. 1,775 yes. shekels, it equaled 568,000. Woo! That's more than my yearly so. income, amen. 
So, and on Hebrews 8, 5 yes. says, Who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle? For he said, See that you make all things according to to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So he had specific instructions, not only of the tabernacle, but of the furniture as well. People would bring various different sacrifices to offer. If it was a lamb, if it was a lamb, then a lamb was a year old or younger. Or if it was a sheep, it was given, uh, a, a sheep was given, then blood was to be shed for that sin offering. A sin offering was for sins against God. And so what they would do is take that lamb or that uh, sheep and they would slit its throat and then lay it up on the altar. Uh, the priest, in fact, they would catch the blood in a vessel so that they could smear that blood on the four horns of the altar. And, of course, they would take that into the holy place. Uh, the priest would inspect it first. If you were to come and offer a offering... He would say, what's this offering for? What's this sacrifice for? You would say, or ask, actually, it asked the family. Who's, whose family do you represent? I, I represent the Darty household. He would say, um, okay, let me examine your gift that you're giving, your sacrifice. And he would look at the lamb. Uh, he would inspect it to see if there was any defect because if you offer to God something that was defective, it would not be accepted. Uh, in fact, it would be thrown away and you would have to buy one of the lambs that the priest had there, which in fact, was hap that was what was happening that Jesus threw them all out of the temple. Uh, it wasn't the fact that they were buying and selling animals there. The fact of the matter was that the, the priests were being, um, they were being crooks. They were allowing money changers to come in. And, of course, the money had to be changed. You couldn't offer a coin that had Caesar's name on it. So you had to change that. But what they would do, if you brought a lamb in and they looked at it, they'd say, oh, this is defective. You have to buy one of ours. They'd put that same lamb in the cage and pick another lamb for you that you had to buy. And then they would charge you interest for changing your money. Mm -hmm. And Jesus went in there and said, this is nothing but a racket you got going on here. This is not what God intended. He said that he wants his house to be a house of prayer. When you come in with your offering, your sacrifice, it should be so much better than a bunch yeah. of preachers who doing you. Amen. Somebody amen. ought to say amen to that. Amen. Aren't we sick of that yet? Yes, <laughs> and so the priest would inspect it and see if it was good enough. And so if it was blind or fungus was eating in its ears or maggot eating, uh, mangy wool sheep, God would not accept that and he will not accept our offerings today if it's, in fact, well, I'm not going to go there. That's another. <laughs> I, I will say that. God still has a standard and he wants the best he from does. us. He does. And when we give him a tip... In fact, most of us tip our waitress more than we tip God. Come on. And we come in here and we'll throw him some change in the bucket or a dollar or two or whatever. But you've already been out the week that week and you went to Home Goods store and charged $50. <laughs> 
Or you went over there to TJ Maxx and you put all that on your card and you're so in debt, now you can't give to the house of God. This is not God's plan. This is not what God intended, not what he wants. And when we throw our little measly, and, and if that's all you've got, you know, Jesus is going to applaud you. That's the widow's might. But if you're giving it to everybody and you're coming in here looking like a, a Fifth Street, I mean, you, you Park Avenue model, you're dressing like a movie star, but you haven't saved anything for the house of God. Okay, I'm going to get off that. But anyway, God would not accept that offering. And if that's what you were bringing, it would be rejected by the priest and you would have to buy one of theirs, which has already been approved for sacrifice. And this is not, uh, man, when we get to this year, when we get to Passover, we need to go through all the things that were relevant to this giving of the lamb. Uh, in presenting the sin offering, there would be two animals that were given, a goat and a sheep. Now, I want you to listen to this. One was for the burning. They would slit the throat of that sheep, and the other one was to be set free. And the priest would lay his hand, your hand on one of the, on one of the goats and the other one on the lamb, representing your sins are transferred from yourself to the lamb. To the goat. Your sin now is on the head of that animal, that, that innocent animal. And the priest would tie a scarlet cord around the scapegoat's neck, the one that they're going to let go into the wilderness. And he would slit the throat of the other. The cord was indicative of the slitting of the throat, the red scarlet cord saying that this is killed symbolically. But the scarlet represented the blood, and so both animals represented the death of sin. They let this one goat go, the, the scapegoat, is sent out into the wilderness. What did Jesus say would happen to our sin? As far as the east is from the west, he would cast our sins never to be remembered again. This goat is gone. Our sins are gone, and God says that sacrifice is wonderful. The other he takes and he says, he puts that innocent lamb in the fire. And so, both animals represent death of sin. One placed on the altar and the other let go for your sins. The scapegoat said, he has cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. So when Christ was being crucified, there was a scapegoat that day as well. Pilate stood on the steps of that magnificent hall, that governor's mansion, and said, I have two men here today. One is a murderer, and the other is the king of the Jews. Which one are you going to let live? And what did they say? Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Now, if you know anything about Hebrew... This is a very curious thing because Bar is Hebrew for son. Simon Bar Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. Abba, father. Even a baby says Abba, father. Put those two together. Son of the father was Barabbas' name. He was a picture of Jesus Christ being let into the wilderness 
never to be seen again. And Jesus was taken to the altar. Barabbas was, a pre, was predestined to be the scapegoat. So the murderer was a scapegoat, son of the father, and the other was a sacrifice. And the priest would sacrifice every morning and every evening. He would put his hands on the animals and confess their sins and therefore transferring your sin to the innocent animal. Sacrifice was put on the cross. No man could do it, but only him. Leviticus 17 and 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. At each corner was a horn, and the innocent sacrificial animal was bound to it. Jesus was bound to the cross. Psalms 118.27 says, God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. And so the horns were covered with blood and they would bind the animal to the altar. When Jesus was crucified, they bound him. You shall take some, some of the blood of the bull and put it, uh, Exodus 29, 12. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And likewise, Jesus was wounded with four wounds, just like four horns of the altar, two hands, two feet. Isaiah 53, 5 says, so the horns of the altar could bring salvation. Christ holds in his hands and his feet brought me salvation. So if a man has accidentally committed a, a, a manslaughter, let's say for instance, and the law was that if he, even if it was an accident that he killed someone else, the law was you had to go after him, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and you would have to go get him and kill him. If he killed one of yours, you would have to kill him. But God arranged a mercy that if the man would run to the altar and put his hands on the horns of the altar, he could not be touched. That was the safe place. And so God made provision. But if you reject the horns, Revelation 9, 13 says, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying the sixth angel who had the trumpet released the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and a day and a month and a year were released to kill a third of mankind. Only the altar and the labor were visible for the people. And the reason being is that God wanted us to worship him, not that we would look at a piece of furniture and worship that or a picture or anything. That's why I said, make no graven image of me. Because how can we capture God Almighty, this excellent, magnificent God? How can, in fact, if I make him a white Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes, then the black man cannot relate to him. If we make him a black Jesus with brown uh, eyes and black hair, then the white man cannot relate to him. But G God said, don't make a graven image of me or don't make a piece of art out of me. Let every man come to me so that every man can relate to me. So when they would put this on the altar, when the sacrifice was totally consumed, the priest would come and see that all the sacrifice had fallen into the grate totally consumed and he would blow the trumpet the ram's horn wish we had one and he would blow the trumpet so that the whole camp would know 
those six million people would know that the sacrifice had been complete. And this is what I love that he would do. Not only would he blow the trumpet, he would say after the blowing of the trumpet, it is finished. And he would turn to the other camp. It is finished. And he would turn to the other camp. It is finished. And he would turn to the other. It is finished. So that everybody would know that the sacrifice was finished. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. Somebody probably thought, oh, he had just given up. He thought, man, I, I, this, it's all over with now. It's finished. <laughs> Jesus and all those Israelites that were standing around him knew exactly what he was saying because he was a rabbi and he was quoting scriptures the whole time that he was on that cross. He was always teaching. Even when he said, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? He was quoting scripture. And he looked at those people when he knew that he was going. When he had finished the work on the cross, he looked at those people, those Israelites that were very familiar with what went on in the tabernacle. And he said, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost and died. I'm going to tell you, when you look at that tabernacle, God has given us a picture of what we need to honor, what we need to praise, what we need to glorify, and get a new glimpse of what this is all about because He is finished, amen? And I cannot add anything to it. I can't take anything away from it. God has done the work, amen? And He has finished it, amen? Stand with me all over this place. Woo! Take me in.